Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hey there, O'Toole. Hey, Hollister. It's so exciting to be bringing, you know, our little Jane Austen into our podcast today. I'm so excited that we're going to be doing Love and Friendship. Uh, I hope you are too. But before we go there, do you have anything to chat about? Because i got a ton of stuff. Well, I was wondering if you saw that Steven Spielberg gave the commencement address at Harvard this week. I did not. Oh my gosh, weren't, you, weren't we all going to go to that? I we know, forgot. we forgot huh? to go, but I posted the address on our Facebook page. Oh good, okay. Two interesting things. His father, who gave him his first camera when he was 12 years old, who kind of... I remember that, yeah. was yep. there with him. His father is 99 years old. Oh, that's pretty cool. I don't think of him, though, as one of those great, you know, Oprah-type speakers, is he? His speech was surprisingly good. I I can remember my own college graduation, uh, which is easy since it was only 14 years ago. (laughs) How many of you took 37 years to graduate? Because like most of you, I began college in my teens. Uh, But sophomore year, I was offered my dream job at Universal Studios, so I dropped out. I told my parents if my movie career didn't go well, I'd re-enroll. It went all right. (laughs) But eventually, I returned for one big reason. Most people go to college for an education, and some go go for their parents, but I went for for my kids. I'm the father of seven, and I kept insisting on the importance of going to college, but I hadn't walk the walk. So in my 50s, I re-enrolled at Cal State Long Beach, and I earned my degree. And good for him, because so many people like Bill Gates, people like that who left, they never went back. Okay, but more important, Bloodline Season 2 started last week. Okay, you know, it was the kickoff from uh, for Netflix for Memorial Day weekend, Bloodline season two, and I'm halfway through it, so I'll probably write something up about it later. I don't want to say much more, just wanted to remind people mm-hmm. of it. And then also I touched I saw two a couple of previews that I think of movies that are coming out. Maggie's Plan, have you heard about that? I saw the movie at the Miami Film Festival. Okay. I'm dying to see it. I think we should podcast about it as soon as it's out. And you know what's so interesting about that? Rebecca Miller, Arthur Miller's daughter. Uh-huh. Daniel Day-Lewis's wife, she adapted a friend's unpublished novel and turned it into a movie. Is that the best possible outcome for an unpublished novel or what? Well, yeah, you, you know, you got to have good friends in high places, clearly, right? You know, starring Greta Gerwig, Ethan Hawke, and Julianne Moore. The other thing is sort of a documentary based on um, a group of people in England who were just day laborers who bought a racehorse. Dark Horse is the name I of it. I just saw the trailer for that and thought it looked fantastic. I know. I want to see it. Yes. We were a tight-knit community, and as most mining communities are. One by one, they've closed down. It was a Thursday. Jan was working. She said, I'm going to breed a racehorse. So I picked the pints up and said, good luck. When I look back now, I don't know how I did it. And here we have Topville, the 20th century thoroughbred horse. These sort of people, they like to keep us commoners out, I think. And I'm excited it's not coming out until August, but Meryl Streep's new movie, playing Florence Foster Jenkins with Hugh Grant. Yep. yep I thought that looked really good. Very, very good. And there's a new movie coming out with Alicia Vikander and Judi Dench. Uh-huh. Tulip Fever. 
Uh, okay, so that, that wraps up all the news for uh, what's up and coming. But, you know, I feel like we crossed the path of a bunch of bad reviews, and now we can start getting excited about stuff again. So today it's Love and Friendship, Whit Stillman's adaptation of Jane Austen's novella, Lady Susan, and everybody who sort of worked on it, I listened to a bunch of interviews and they all said that he's a huge Jane Austen lover anyway and has almost done a couple of other things around her work. And something about her prose and the length of her sentences and everything else really works well with him. So he worked on the script for it. And I don't know about you, but I thought it was really, really well done. Did you? Hollister, I wanted to love this movie. I was very excited after seeing the trailer. I love Jane Austen. I thought Kate Beckinsale did a great job, but I thought while the production values were what we have come to expect of Jane Austen adaptations with the wonderful wagon wheels and period clothing and country estates, I felt like the many, many words of this movie never gelled with the visual. So I thought it never really had a strong narrative thread. Okay, well, I couldn't disagree more. I just thought it was wonderful. I thought the humor, who knew Jane Austen had that that sort of advanced humor for her time? And a lot of the um, a lot of the dialogue was actually taken right out of her work. And the the novella was really letters back and forth, and it was, it was told through letters back and forth, which I think is always very cool. So I went back and took a look at it. And I, I, the entire audience in the, in the theater that I was in, once again, just, it was a very sort of um, sophisticated audience at the Cape uh, Cinema in, on Cape Cod. And they were laughing. We just could not, you know, it was just, you know, the way they dropped the humor in was just, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it, you know, the storyline, you know, eh, you know, I mean, but I just kept putting it in context of its time. When, if you think about it, if you think of, if you think of Jane Austen writing this tale of a woman who is as evil as all the men, right? I mean, you know, to me, her writing this tale about it itself is sort of like an eye-opener unto itself. She never finished it. And maybe she never finished it because she never thought that anybody there could accept it. But um, I think it's the first character that, you know, it's, you know, Beckinsale plays Lady Susan. And, uh, you know, I've never seen a, a, a character. None of the other Austin characters are Lady Susan. Not she's even smarter than everybody else. She's conniving. She's you know, I, you know, I mean, I think as a character, isn't she interesting for a Jane Austen character? Did you find her interesting? This is what disappointed me so greatly is that I thought Kate Beckinsale, with the amount of Jane Austen dialogue they gave her, it rolled off her tongue like champagne bubbles. I thought, though, that they the script did not live up to her talents, and I think it 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 read like a Jane Austen novel that Jane Austen never finished. So it felt like a book that never fully fledged into a movie. And I am all for originality, but I think certain conventions exist for a reason. Lady Susan could have been the name of this movie, as opposed to Love and Friendship. But I think because she's clearly the star of the movie by the book of her own name, she should have been given a grand entrance. You should have met this huge, larger-than-life character. Instead, you meet some secondary characters, and then all of a sudden, Kate Beckinsale is in a room talking to Chloe Sevigny in their bonnets, and you never got that sense of, here, Lady Susan has entered her own story. Seems Lady Susan will finally visit. Lady Susan Vernon. That woman's a fiend. 
Congratulations on being about to receive the most accomplished flirt in all England. Excuse me for arriving this way. Well, you know, it's so funny because I care a lot about titles and I loved the title of Love and Friendship because I thought the friendship between Chloe and Kate was really an interesting friendship. I mean, Chloe is told by her husband, you can't see her anymore. We're going to move to Connecticut where then... I mean, that was uh, pretty funny how much they dissed yeah, Connecticut. La- yeah, Lady Susan, yeah, Lady Susan says, um, you know, you could get scalped. But, you know, anyway... Um, and so, but she stays with the friendship because she's really, really drawn there. You know, those there, there's true friendship there. And then there's friendships that develop between Lady Susan's daughter and her other relatives that really help her through this whole, I thought, I thought the juxtaposition of love, which, you know, finally in the end is real love, but, you know, fake love living up to the real love. I just, I just thought love and friendship was such a great title for such an interesting exploration of fake love and real love and fake friendship and real friendship and saying what you mean, but not really. So it's like, you know, hashtag uh, don't really mean anything I'm saying. Uh, You know, the way she manipulated everybody around her with her brilliance, I just thought it was really, really good. I can't think of two more exciting themes than love and friendship, but the characters were actually very atomized. And I can't really think of a better word than this almost seemed to me to be the most asexual of the Jane Austen adaptations. There, I didn't feel as though there were any meaningful glances between the characters. I didn't feel that anybody was looking at each other in a loving way. I, I wouldn't have understood the relationships. And again, because he was trying to, because it felt like this book that just resisted becoming a movie, each character, I was curious what you thought about that, where they were giving, they were given identification tags, where you actually stopped the forward momentum of the movie and gave them little nameplates. They gave them nameplates because, you know, in a very little amount of time, you were supposed to see how they were all related to each other. But even the name tags were done sort of tongue in cheek with the, the, the sarcastic humor that, uh, that, that sur- was surrounded by the, the dialogue on it. So now, interestingly enough, you know, um, Kate was interviewed about working uh, with him. Now, they, they both worked on a project in 1998, the, you know, the last days of disco. Mm-hmm. And Kate was much younger than, you know, it was one of her first movies. Before disco, this country was a dancing wasteland. You know the Woodstock generation of the 1960s that were so full of themselves and conceited? None of those people could dance. She felt that Stillman really knew that world of the last days of disco, but she didn't. But she felt she was very, the reason she could really move into this particular character that she was playing is she comes from that world and she really understands that that societal uh, structure in England. So she was much more comfortable in this role. But also, she, one of the reasons she loves working with him, she feels like working with him is like working a bit with Scorsese. And that he's, his attention to detail, detail on the set, detail on the script, detail is tremendous. And the other thing is he doesn't, do any rehearsals. He allows each person to go into their character and talks with them about their individuality in terms of looking at their character. And then he brings them all together and everybody sort of plays it out. So it's a unique way of approaching how he, how he films. And she said she really, really loves it. And she thinks he's such a great storyteller. And so do I, I just think that um, one of the things that she talked about, which I had also wanted to mention in this podcast is um, I think, I think that he's really good, and so is Jane Austen, at social observation. Like, 
being a little bit distant from what's happening on the screen, but watching it unfold with an eye that understands where it's coming from. And that appeals to her and it appealed to me. I I thought that that was part of the charm of it was that you were never in the scene. You were just sort of watching it from a distance and that was okay because it was like this observation of the bigger picture of what was going on rather than just watching what was going on. Well, see, I definitely felt like there was a distance between the characters. I love a good talkie movie and I love a good Jane Austen novel. And I... I thoroughly enjoyed his first two films. Whit Stillman also did Metropolitan and Barcelona in the 90s before he did Last Days of Disco. But I just felt like the narrative thread was too jumpy. So, for example, when she meets Mr. de Corsay, they've exchanged just a few lines of dialogue, which again could have been very funny when she catches him and his sister talking about her. We immediately then cut to him and his father, and his father's expressing concern that he might form an alliance with Lady Susan. I can't help fear that Lady Susan Vernon would destroy every comfort of our lives. And I felt like these relationships were never given time to percolate. It felt Oscar Wilde-esque in that bone molds. They tried to glue them together, but it wasn't done in a coherent fashion. Yeah, see, and I, you know, again, I, I think that that was by design, and I thought it really worked for this particular uh, this particular movie. So I think he definitely did that, uh, you know, that was his intent. And I think it worked. So, uh, you know, w- you know, disagree uh, on that on that area. But uh, the the other thing is that um, one of the things Kate said in another interview, she said that, you know, wearing those corsets and, you know, stuffing yourself in t- so that every woman in that time period looked exactly the same. And she said she was very interesting to her. She was thinking about it. And then since time memoriam, um, women have been, you know, uh, been dictated to their bodies have been dictated to by whatever the fashion of the moment is. And she decided wearing those corsets and everything else, that it was li- a little bit easier for them than it is now, because now you're supposed to be mostly naked on a beach in a bikini. So you can't be corseted in where back then, at least they could make everybody's body look relatively similar. <laughs> and she said she felt that we, the women of today were, were having, were much more wed to a difficult way of moving through fashion than, uh, than the, the costumes that she had to wear for that. And she said that he's such an attention to detail. I loved looking at what they were wearing and the costumes around it. I thought it was wonderful. The costumes were great. Again, production values very high. It was actually filmed in Ireland, which I thought was interesting. The Irish Film Board helped fund the film. And she certainly looked very comfortable in that period clothing. But um, I felt, though, the other characters who weren't given as much dialogue, not in the novella, not in the script, I thought they all looked at her a little slack-jawed, as as though they were waiting for their characters to become fully-fledged characters. And it was funny because I started thinking a few of them looked to me like they showed up for the casting call for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And then I realized the actress playing Kate Beckinsale's daughter was in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. She was Georgiana. Hmm. Um, what do you think of Tom Bennett, who plays Sir James? I thought he was wonderful in his delivery of the idiocy of Sir James, you know, even when he was talking about Churchill. And I just thought he delivered so well on with great nuance and timing and, and you know, features of confusion, talking about what's a pee. And, you know, it just... I thought he was really, really good. Did you like him? He did a great job. I wish they hadn't repeated his Churchill joke. 
I'm enjoying Sir James's visit to Churchill. Churchill? That's how you say it, all together like that. I'd heard church and hill, but couldn't find either. All I could see was this big house. <laughs> there were certainly very capable actors in this. You know, there was Gemma Redgrave, there was Stephen Fry. So you, you didn't think Tom played that role well? I thought he played it well. I just wish, you know, that there was actually a story arc. I was hoping for something like Emma that put Gwyneth Paltrow on the map. I sought to bring two people together, and I shall never do it again. Emma? I got that somebody was supposed to be scheming, but mostly from the soundtrack, not from the dialogue. Yeah. Um, in an interview, Chloe, Chloe said that she feels like she plays the Greek chorus, and I thought that was a great way to describe her work in this. And interestingly enough, she's done six movies in 2016 and 2000, coming out in 2016 and 17. You know, she's never really been major actor and with six movies coming out this being one of them you go girl she reminds me a bit of Martha Plimpton don't you do you see that in her you know Chloe Sevigny has always scared me a little bit and I don't know why I feel as though in these British movies if there's one American character and she's the only American character in this the American characters always fall short I don't yeah, mean I thought she was acting. excellent in I, this I thought she played this very well I also you know I remember her mostly from Big Love where she plays the uh, wife that isn't so nice, <laughs> and a scheming, you know, a scheming uh, one of his many wives, a scheming wife also there. Uh, but I think she's a really good actor, and I think she really played the friend of her well, and I think she played the humor well, and I think she also played the um, the nuance of you know she betrayed her too. You know, there's a couple moments in there we won't you know ruin it by telling you exactly what happened, but. There are moments in there when when she comes forward and and I thought she did I thought she did a really good job I was very I was very very happy with it. Lady Susie, how dare you address me, sir? Be gone! Or I will have you whipped. Outrageous! Have you never met him? No, I know him well. I would never speak to a stranger like that. I know in the log lines for Love and Friendship they talk about seduction and manipulation and scheming, and you just mentioned betrayal. I never felt as though any of the plot got that deep. I felt Kate Beckinsale felt more like a Lorelai Gilmore in a period piece. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't see that at all. I, I didn't see a lot of interaction between the characters. I felt the characters were saying a lot of dialogue, but not necessarily, not emotionally yeah, again, connecting. I think that was by his design. I think he wasn't trying to do a traditional narrative film. I think he was trying to say, okay... You're almost sitting at a play, read between the lines, but also the lines are going to make you, you know, smile and laugh and, and do your thing. I thought, I thought it came across. It felt very much like a play. It's just, to me, it's as though the script had gone rogue. Yeah, I think we got that. I, you know, I think for example, know again, a typical convention in these British period pieces is that you have letters arrive and someone reads the letter. And in this... Whit Stillman decided to superimpose graphics over the reading of the letters. He sometimes injected in little graphics with plot points. Again, I, you know, I understood that he was probably paying homage to a book, but I would have liked to have had the movie move more. Yeah, see, I think he did that, again, to place a little distance in there. I think it was intentional, and I think, again, it was so that it wasn't a traditional way, but it was, it was a way that gave you a little bit of distance and, and sort of uh, put you reading between the lines. So and I and again, you know, I thought I thought it really worked. Interesting. Amazon Studios did this film, and it you know it premiered at um, Sundance, and has That's been you know getting rave reviews everywhere. I don't know. Have you, did you read any of the reviews? 
I, I read a few. Yep. It, it definitely on Metacritic. It's in the 80s. Variety did a great review of it. And so did The New Yorker, both of which said it was a very, very sort of modern approach to a, 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 a classic kind of presentation where it was mixing the two. And he, you know, he's an, he's an odd director, no question. And, uh, and I felt the same way. I felt like, oh gosh, I've got to now adjust everything. I don't get to sit back and just relax and have it unfold before me. I have to, I have to pay attention. I have to do a little homework in here. And I, I really liked the the uh, the you know predilection to doing it that way I really thought it was good and the humor you know I mean come on okay I, there's some great lines did you have any favorite lines many of the lines read as though they were lifted right from the book yeah the my favorite line in the whole thing was in one's plight is one's opportunity in one's plight they say is one's opportunity I thought there were a number of messaging lines like that. What a mistake you made, Marion. Too old to be governable, too young to die. When you look at the women and what they were going through in that time period, and if you put it in that time period rather than watching it in the year 2016, I thought, oh my gosh, imagine, I, I could imagine myself, wouldn't it be funny if you could go way back to her that actual time and have this be a play and have these men sitting in the in the audience totally uncomfortable with the fact that they're not in charge. In the end, Love Wins Out, which is what I loved about the title, is just the last minute we sort of get to take a relief and say, oh my gosh, there is a happy ending for somebody. And that was, I thought that was great. Well, to me, Lady Susan definitely felt like a creative little interloper. Did you really get the sense that any of these characters were truly in love? There was Jane Austen's viewpoint of love, which is, you know, okay, she married him because he gave her stature and money. Um, but then in the end, when she said he, everything he does, he does willingly to make my life better. And in the end, yeah, I think love grew in many different directions for a bunch of the different couples. Certainly, um, yeah, I think there was love in it. Yeah. And I think in the end, you know, maybe not the kind of passionate love that, you know, that our, our, um, our culture looks for, but I think, yeah, I think for that period of love, yeah, I think there was love in it. See, to me, I felt like it was almost as though you're looking at a child playing with their dolls. I felt like Kate Beckinsale was the only true character who felt like she really was filled with life and everybody else was a wooden little puppet where she was pulling the strings. Well, that was sort of the point then, wasn't it? But um, I think it was an exaggerated point of view to make a point, and I think he made it, so. Did you stay for the credits? Uh, I did. The very last line, I was so curious about it. It was talking about the availability of the soundtrack and the novel Love and Friendship, quote, in which Lady Susan will be entirely vindicated. Well, there you go. Did you know who was originally cast to play Kate's role? No. Sienna Miller was originally cast, and she dropped out, and so Kate got it. The other thing that I liked about this, there's no hero in here. And I think I think that's one of the reasons why I loved it. it was, first of all, I hadn't read the novella, and I didn't even really know about it. And so it was sort of like, a, oh, my gosh, the discovery of something, you know, of Christmas present you forgot to open a year later or something. So for me, it was, you know, I can't wait to read it. I'm not, I haven't had time to read it before we did it, but um, but I will be reading it. And I realized, gosh, every every Austin novel has a hero, and this one doesn't, and I really like that about it. You wouldn't call Lady Susan the heroine? No. A hero is somebody who, you know, does good. Mannering's in town. Have you seen my husband? Horrid woman. 
deranged. But if she were going to be jealous, she should not have married such a charming man. She got pregnant by somebody else, totally made, made is making a joke of her new husband and had no goodwill toward her daughter who was getting married. I mean, none of it. I don't, I, what, what, what possibly did she do that was heroic? Well, she and her daughter were facing a penniless future. She finds the love of her life for her daughter, a very good match, and made the silly little Tom Bennett character happy. Yeah, I, I didn't find her heroic. Does this woman always get her way? She has an uncanny understanding of men's natures. So one of the things we should probably end with is just an acknowledgement that here's a writer who what, wrote eight books, maybe? And look at how many movies and how many times those books come up in a million places and, and how it's rewritten and added to zombies to make it a bestseller. What an amazing author, you know, to have such a huge huge reach 200 years later mm-hmm. you go jane austen i would love to know you today ah, here's to jane austen yep and i've imagined many possible futures in my films but you will determine the actual future and i hope that it's filled with justice and peace and finally i wish you all a true hollywood style happy ending <laughs> i hope you outrun the t-rex catch the criminal And for your parents' sake, maybe every now and then, just like E.T., go home. (laughs) 